0: Hey, what's up, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Biology, a weekly podcast where I, aims attempt to answer obscure biology questions we will all find ourselves googling at 3am. Today's question is by Lindsay, who asks, Is there any way we can genetically modify crops and make them have the traits we want them to have? Without further ado, let's get into finding out the answer. Scientific crop improvement dates back to around the year 1900. Since then, a broad range of techniques have been developed to improve crop yields, resistance to diseases, and environmental stress. Most plant breeding programs rely on manual cross-pollination between genetically different plants to create new combinations of genes. The progeny plants are intensively evaluated over several generations, and the one with the most favorable characteristics are then selected for potential release as new varieties. The traits of all living organisms are determined by their genetic makeup and their interaction with their environment. The genetic makeup of an organism is its genome, which in all plants and animals is made of DNA. The genome contains genes, which are regions of DNA that carry the instructions for making proteins. These proteins are what gives the organism its characteristics such as height, color, pigmentation, growth pattern, etc. Genetic modification is a technology that involves inserting DNA into the genome or set of genetic information of an organism. To produce a GM plant, a new stretch of DNA is transferred into plant cells, giving it new or different traits. This could include changing the way the plant grows or making it resistant to a particular disease. Genetic engineers have even taken advantage of this DNA transfer mechanism in order to disarm the disease-causing properties in crops. The modified cells are then grown in tissue culture, where they develop into plants. The seeds produced by these plants inherit the new DNA. The inserted DNA fragment, contains one or a few genes, which contain the DNA sequence information encoding specific proteins, along with DNA segments that regulate the production of these proteins. The inserted fragment also sometimes contains a marker gene to easily identify plants that have incorporated the transferred genes, also known as transgenes, into their chromosomes. With this basic introduction of gene modification in plants, let's find out a little bit more about the method behind it. The first stage in making a GM plan requires transfer of DNA into a plant cell. There are two principal methods for transgene insertion. One of the methods used to transfer DNA is to use a gene gun. In this method, you coat the surface of small metal particles, such as microscopic pellets of gold or tungsten, with the relevant DNA fragments, and then blast the particles at high velocities into the plant cells or tissues. In a small proportion of cases, the pellet can pass through the cells and the DNA fragment will remain behind and become incorporated into the plant chromosome in the cell nucleus. Another method is to use a bacterium or virus. A lot of microbes transfer their DNA into a host cell as a normal part of their life cycle. This method utilizes a biological vector. For GM plants, the vector most frequently used is called Agrobacterium tumefaciens, which is a soil-dwelling bacterium. The required gene is transferred into the bacterium and the bacterial cells then transfer the new DNA to the genome of the plant cells. After that, plant and bacterial cells are co-cultivated in a petri dish under conditions that facilitate gene transfer. This allows incorporation of genes in a more controlled manner than with the gene gun. However, it does not work equally well in all plant species. The plant cells that have successfully taken up the DNA are then grown to create a new plant. However, Obtaining a healthy plant just from modified tissue is not that straightforward, even though individual cells do have an impressive capacity of forming entire plants from perfileration alone. Insertion of transgenes is generally an inefficient process, with only a few percent of plant cells or tissues successfully integrating the foreign gene. After that, the crop developers then begin a long series of evaluations to determine that the gene has been incorporated successfully that it is inherited in a stable and predictable manner, that the desired trait is expressed at the expected level, and that the plant does not show any negative effects. Evaluations are initially done in controlled greenhouses and growth chambers. Various strategies are used to identify the small percentage of cells and tissues that have actually been transformed. The next step is to develop those cells or tissues into whole plants capable of producing seeds. This is done through a process called tissue culture, that is, growing plants on agar or similar medium in the presence of plant nutrients and hormones under controlled environmental conditions. And it doesn't just end there. Once sufficient seed is produced and the appropriate permissions are received, experimental plants are grown in field trials. Field evaluations follow strict guidelines that include isolation from related plants to avoid cross-pollination, careful cleaning of planting and harvesting machinery, frequent monitoring of crop growth, and checking the field for two seasons after a trial for the presence of volunteer plants that have arisen from seed inadvertently left behind. On rare occasions, the process of DNA transfer can even happen without human manipulation. For example, the sweet potato contains DNA sequences that were transferred thousands of years ago from the Acrobacterium bacteria into the sweet potato genome. There are also other ways to change the genomes of crops some of which are long-established, such as mutational breeding, and some of which are new, such as genome editing. Other techniques included within the conventional plant breeding toolbox are development of hybrid varieties by crossing two parental strains to produce offspring with increased vigor and induce mutations to create useful variation. Another branch of agricultural biotechnology, distinct from GM technology, involves selecting plants for DNA patterns known to be associated with favorable traits such as higher yield or disease resistance. A major advantage of GM technology over other techniques is that it is much more precise and only transfers the desired gene or genes to the recipient plants. There is no denying the reach and usefulness of genetic modification in the agricultural industry. Since GM crops were introduced in the U.S. in the mid-1990s, they have become widely adopted by growers of several large acreage field crops. Most current GM crops grown in the U.S. are engineered for insect resistance or herbicide tolerance. According to a 2014 report, GM crops were grown in 26 other countries in 2013. The largest global acreage crops were soybean, corn, cotton, and canola, in that order. The U.S. has the greatest area of these crops, about 40% of the world total. Other large producers include Brazil, Argentina, India, and Canada. In 2018, GMO, or genetically modified organism soybeans, made up 94% of all soybeans planted, GMO cotton, made up 94% of all cotton planted, and 92% of corn planted was GMO corn. In 2013... GMO canola made up 95% of canola planted, while GMO sugar beets made up 99.9% of all sugar beets harvested. Most GMO plants are used to make ingredients that are then used in other food products. For example, cornstarch made from GMO corn or sugar made from GMO sugar beets. A few fresh fruits and vegetables are also available in GMO varieties, including potatoes, summer squash, apples, and papayas. Although GMOs are in a lot of the foods we eat, most of the GMO crops grown worldwide are used for animal food. More than 95% of animals used for meat and dairy in the United States eat GMO crops. There have been numerous concerns about the safety and viability of such actions over the years, and it remains a controversial topic to this day. However, independent studies show that there is no difference in how GMO and non-GMO foods affect the health and safety of animals. The DNA in the GMO food does not transfer to the animal that eats it. If it did, an animal would have the DNA of any food it ate, GMO or not. Research also shows that foods like eggs, dairy products, and meat that come from animals that eat GMO food are equal in nutritional value, safety, and quality to foods made from animals that eat only non-GMO food. Now that we know a little bit about genetic modification, how it's done, and what it's used for, let's find out why it's even a thing in the first place. What traits have been included in GM crops to make them better than regular ones? GM has a wide range of uses and makes farming more efficient and productive. It helps us pick and choose which traits we prefer in crops and which ones we'd rather do away with. Some of the benefits of genetic modification include nutritional enhancement, which is promoting higher vitamin content and more healthful fatty acid profiles, stress tolerance, which is increasing the plant's tolerance to high and low temperatures, salinity, and drought, and disease resistance, which is done to prevent attack by bacterial infections and pests. There are also a lot of non-food applications for GM plants, for example, in the timber, paper, and chemical sectors. In the medical field, the use of GM plants for production of recombinant pharmaceuticals is also becoming increasingly popular. Molecular farming to produce GM plant-derived pharmaceutical proteins, or PDPs, is currently being studied across the world. The first full-sized native human recombinant PDP, human serum albumin, was first demonstrated in 1990. And since then, antibodies, blood products, hormones, and vaccines have all been expressed in plants. A few other uses you might not have heard of are making biofuels, which are plants with altered cell wall compositions for more efficient conversion to ethanol, and phytoremediation, which is the process of modifying plants to extract and concentrate contaminants like heavy metals from polluted sites for their remediation. But even though GM has proved itself as a successful way to manipulate plants for commercial use, there are a fair share of risks and controversies surrounding its use. Despite the fact that gene transfer does occur naturally in other species, there are unknown consequences to altering the natural state of an organism through foreign gene expression. After all, such alterations can change the organism's metabolism, growth rate, and even its response to external environmental factors. These consequences influence not only the GMO organism itself, but also the natural environment in which that organism is allowed to proliferate. There are also some potential health risks to humans, which include the possibility of exposure to new allergens in genetically modified food items, as well as the transfer of antibiotic-resistant genes to our immune systems. Gene transfer of pesticide, herbicide, or antibiotic resistance to other organisms can not only put humans at risk, but it can also cause ecological imbalances, allowing the previously innocuous plants to grow uncontrolled, promoting the spread of disease among both plants and animals. So, what's the verdict? Can we genetically modify plants? Yes, we absolutely can. Most times, it works out in our favor, giving us more efficient ways to grow crops. But we do need to be mindful of the extent to which we modify our only source of nutrition and try to find safer ways of doing it. that's all I had for this episode. I hope you learned something new. If you have any weird biology questions of your own, you can send them in to bite-sizedbiologypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you made it all the way to the end, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye!